Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> Y'all ready to go on a little fishing expedition? Thank you. There you go. Every fall, every winter season, I have the opportunity to go on a little fishing trip. And that little fishing trip, it's not because we fish for little fish, although we sometimes catch little ones, but uh, um, they're not all little for sure. And this fishing trip, this takes a lot of planning, it takes a lot of preparation, <coughs> takes a lot of perseverance, <coughs> takes a lot of persistence, especially going in October, November, December. There's a date that we circle on our calendars well in advance. And then we try desperately not to let anything else interfere with that little date we have circled on our calendar. From the moment it is planned, we begin the process and preparation of things like the boat and making sure that everything's running with that and everything's licensed and legal and making sure the tackle is all fixed and I could tell you stories but I don't have time. Um, all of that sort of thing. And then there is perseverance. Things do not always go like we have planned. We have <clears throat> Looked for hours for shad and found them 10 feet below what we had the proper equipment to deal with and had to jury rig something and go for that. We have uh, gotten two miles down the water and had the engine not running right and have to be towed back by a bass boat all the way back to the dock. Uh, we've gone through some things, but you know what? It's okay because in the end, it has been well worth whatever we've had to go through in order to accomplish it. And so, as we plan and prepare and seek to persevere next Saturday, I want us to remember that it is as the fishers of men that the Lord said that he would make us. That we are to be fishers of men. And all of those things that I said apply, the perseverance, the planning, the patience, the circling, the date, the anticipation. And things don't always go like we plan, as I said, but that's okay. That's okay. Because next Saturday, we're going to take a little fishing trip. We're going to walk the streets of Shoto Hills seeking those who might be interested in studying the Bible and getting the answer to their biblical questions. And so today, this morning, as we prepare to walk those black-topped streets in Shoto Hills, particularly next Saturday, looking for those who one day would hope to walk that Golden Street, I thought that it would be appropriate in our sermon to take a look at the seven walks listed in the book of Ephesians. The seven walks of the book of Ephesians. I, I thought we would do this to see not only how it might apply to our evangelistic efforts, although I'm going to target them next Saturday, but, but I want to do this and look at the seven walks of Ephesians, not only to, to see how they might apply to that, but to all of our evangelistic efforts as well. All of our personal ones as well as, <clears throat> although one might not think of it as an evangelistic opportunity, one that is, and that's Green Valley Bible Camp. We'll get to that at the end of the lesson. 
I want for us to begin with a brief overview of what the book of Ephesians is actually all about. It's general theme, it's overall focus. The book of Ephesians, and you can be turning there, we're going to spend the morning in Ephesians. The overview is simply this. The book of Ephesians, if you read it from start to finish, which takes what, 10 minutes? Well, maybe 15. It's all about the deep love and appreciation that we as Gentiles should now have and show for what the Lord God has done for us in saving us through the blood of his son. That's the book of Ephesians. What we as Gentiles who were outside of the covenant had ought to, the, the love and appreciation that we ought to have and show for God because of what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. A lot of that's listed, of course, in, in chapter 1. In fact, chapter 1 begins with how infinitely blessed we are. How blessed we are through the blood of his Son that, that God has now made all of us who would receive his grace and mercy acceptable in the beloved. Isn't that awesome? We are acceptable in the beloved because of Christ Jesus. How he has made us pure in his sight. How he has made us members of that one saved, blood-bought New Testament body or church. The book of Ephesians goes on to tell us how God's had that plan in place since the very beginning, since before time began, and how much, Paul, Paul stresses how much we need to understand that. This has been the plan from before day one. That's kind of chapters one through three, and then chapters four, five, and six go on to explain how that because of all we've been given in Christ, how we've been rescued from our sins through his blood, that we should now live a much more God-glorifying, new, purer, holier life. And Paul goes on to explain that in terms of how we, who are as grateful as we had ought to be for what God has done for us in Christ, should walk the rest of our lives. Should walk the rest of our lives. And it is against that backdrop, against that beautiful, providential, blood-bought backdrop of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness that we would note the seven ways which we should therefore walk because of those things throughout the rest of our lives. Quick reminder, as we talk about walking, okay, we're not talking about a once-a-week thing like when we come to church. We're not talking about a once-every-six-months thing or once-a-year thing like when we go door-knocking. As we talk about walking the way Jesus would have us to walk, we are talking about a step-by-step, everyday thing. Every day that ends in Y, not just Sunday. Every day, as we walk up that straight and narrow path that we talked about last Sunday morning, so we would begin with this. The first way in which we must walk. We must walk in good works. Turn with me, if you're not already there in Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We will see the first occurrence of the word work in Ephesians. Work number one, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is impossible to read this verse without understanding that God did all those wonderful things for us in Christ. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. We were not just saved to sit in the pews. We were not just saved to tell how blessed we are and able to come on Sunday. We were not just saved so that we'd stop cursing and, and living futilely. We were saved for good works. The whole reason God did everything he did in sending his son to save us and redeem us, all of it, what we talked about around the table, this plan that's been in place since before the beginning of time, was to save us for good works, so that we would do good works, so that we would, we would shine the light to a lost world, so that we'd look like Jesus in this world, so that we'd be the salt of the earth. You, you know these texts. We were saved for good works. Listen. We were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, right? The whole purpose of our baptism was for the forgiveness of our sins. Is that right? That was the reason we were done for that purpose. We were likewise saved for good works. The whole reason we were saved is so that we would do good works. That we should walk in them. We should walk in them. This is the whole purpose for which we were purchased. And I was going to make a slide for this, but I want you to think about it in your head. This is the whole purpose for which we were purchased. Take the purr off it. We were not saved to pose. We were not saved to pose, that is to stand still and look pretty under the blood. We were saved to chase. We were saved to take action. We were saved to pursue the lost. We were purchased. Oh, it was the purpose of our purchase. Titus 2, 11 through 14 confirms this by saying, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here it comes, Titus 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Paul tells Titus, the whole reason you were saved, the whole reason he went through everything he went through, was to save you so that you could live holier and do good works. And there is no greater work that you and I were saved to do than to go and to seek and to save the lost. To make disciples of all the lost in order that they too might be saved by the blood of Christ and added to his church as well. So that they too can enjoy all of the blessings of Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. That's what we were saved to do. There is no greater work that we can do that is what we have the opportunity to do next Saturday with Green Valley Bible Camp. With every day, as was already mentioned, as Kirk says in his Marco Polos about being prepared for that opportunity, there is no greater work we were saved to do and we were saved to do good works. The second way in which we must walk, we must walk worthy of what God has done for us. Ephesians chapter four and verse one reads as follows. It says, I therefore, 
the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk, that's walk number two, worthy of the calling with which you were called. Again, the first three chapters, Paul has told us what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is the connector verse between the first three chapters, first three chapters, not first three verses, between the first three chapters where, where Paul has told us what God has done for us and the second three chapters, which tell us what we therefore should do for God because of what God has already done for us. And the therefore is the connector. I therefore, because of everything God has done for us, everything I've already written, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. I, I, I'm telling you what you must do because of what God has done for you. And it's interesting in chapter 4 and verse 1, right after he says therefore, he says the prisoner of the Lord. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, this is how far I'm willing to go for God. I'll be a prisoner. Because of everything God has done for me in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. The whole reason I'm a prisoner of the Lord is because of what God has done for me. And that's okay. I'm willing to do that, he says. And then he calls us after he says that, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beg you. The word beseech means to beg, to plead. I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling. Now, he's not saying that once you become Christian, you're going to be able to somehow be worthy of the blood, that you can pay it back, that you can do enough good to somehow justify God's gift. Otherwise, that wouldn't be a gift then. As Paul says in another place, then it would be wages. You, you can't, he, Paul's not saying be worthy of it, be good enough to deserve it because nobody can. But Paul tells us what he means in the next two verses. When he says to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, here's, here's how you walk worthy of that. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring, this word endeavoring or pursuing is just like chasing, that the, the purchase. We were purchased for a purpose. This is an action word. Endeavoring, striving to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He said, this is how you walk worthy. One of the best ways that we can walk worthy is to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and also to understand and help others to understand how that all works when it comes to the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, and the one God. We can maintain the unity of the, of the, the spirit by understanding that there is only one and, and working to make sure that others understand that too. And again, isn't that exactly what we have the opportunity to do next Saturday? To go and to schedule people for Bible studies to teach them about the unity of the Spirit, that there is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, and etc. Yes, that is indeed true. The third way that we must walk. We must no longer walk as those who don't know God walk. It is in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 that we see this message, as well as two occurrences of our word walk in the book of Ephesians. <laughs> Please don't think my math is that bad. There are seven occurrences of the word walk. 
in the book of Ephesians. But I only have six points because chapter 4 and verse 17 contains two occurrences of the word walk. Just something to keep in mind. Let's look at it. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You must no longer walk that way. As a matter of fact, you will see that Paul once again uses the word therefore, that connector word, and, and I know I've told you this before, but I, I can't help but think of it every time I see that word. Therefore connects what he's just said with what he's about to say. Now, we live here in, in well, I live here in Shoto, and some of you live in Shoto, some of you live in Pryor, and here in that train up there, it's a pretty normal thing along 69, especially if you live right next door to it, right? And you hear that train. You know what? Those couplers on those cars, when they come together and they click and they couple what's in front with what's behind, I always think of that when I see the word therefore. Therefore hooks whatever is coming to whatever he just said or whatever he just said to whatever's next. And it kind of, it, it clicks them together. And so when Paul uses that word here again, therefore, he said, this I say therefore. He's saying, what I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to tell you because of what I just told you. Based on what I just told you, I'm going to testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Well, okay. But I can see that it hooks those two things together. But what has he just said? Pay real close attention to what he just said. Particularly back here in verses 15 and 16, he says, we're to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up into him who is the head, Christ, watch this now, from whom the whole body, we know the body's the church, he told us that in Ephesians 1, 22 and 3, from whom the whole body joined and knit, this is critical, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's what he's just talked about. Every part, every body member, every joint and ligament, every part doing its share, he says that causes growth. I don't know how many self-help books have been written. I don't know how many church seminars have been done on church growth. Church growth, church growth, church growth, church growth. God's told us how to grow the church. He said right here, this is what causes the growth of the body. What is that? Every part effectively working to do its part causes growth. End of seminar. Is that what God said? Did I read that right? Is that what God said? Suppose it's got a shot at working? That's what it says. Every part involved, every part doing its share. That's exactly how the church will grow. Just like a body. When all the physical parts of a physical body do what they should, it causes the growth. So as Christians, those saved by the blood and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, we need to devote ourselves and our lives to doing God's things instead of being alienated from the life of God by, devoid, by devoting our time and energy and efforts to worldly things.
And let's face it, I'm sure that everybody in the church can find things to do on a beautiful Saturday morning in June. Everybody can. I could. But he says here that we're not to focus on those things that we used to, like the Gentiles do, but we are to walk this way, not as they walk. We are to walk in service to God. And so we have the opportunity to do that next Saturday. The fourth way we must walk. We must walk in Christ-like love, which means giving of ourselves for the good of others. We messed that word up so hard today. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love, according to the Bible, is a commitment to serve the other. For God so loved the world that he gave. To love is to give for the good of the other. Now, when you do that, it causes emotion, yes. It causes dedication. It causes devotion. But to love is to give, to serve. For God so loved the world that he gave. We see the same thing right here when we look at Ephesians 5 and verse 2. Look at the verse with me. It says, walk in love, first occurrence of the word love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself. Or to love is to give. To love is to give to another. To love is to serve. That's what God did. That's what Christ did. We understand this. To walk in love, that is to say to walk in the footsteps of the Savior, means to sacrifice and give our own desires up for the good of another. It's coming Saturday. We'll have the opportunity to do exactly that. The fifth way we must walk. We must walk as children of light. Ephesians 5 and verse 8 says, for, once, uh, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you look in your Bibles this morning and you look at that verse, you'll find it very important to keep in mind the context that it's in, the few verses before it and the few verses after it. We see from its context in verses 5 through 11, that instead of indulging in the sins of the world and allowing ourselves to believe that that's okay, despite living like the rest of the world lives, that we instead must learn God's truth, we must live God's truth, and we must also share or teach God's truth to expose sin for what it is. That's the context of verse 8. Living and walking as children of light is not just about learning and living his truth, but about using his truth to expose sin for what it is. Our world got any sin in it today? The Bible says that we're to expose it, verse 11. Isn't that what we're going to do? when we go door knocking and seek to set up Bible studies with people so that they can see their need for God, they can see their sin and see their need for God. Aren't we going to expose sin for what it is? Isn't that the whole purpose? Indeed it is. You see how these seven walks in Ephesians apply to next Saturday? 
The sixth and final way which we must walk from the book of Ephesians, we must walk wisely making the most of our time understanding what the will of the Lord is. We see this in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, which says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time. It's like the old joke, like calendars, our days are all numbered. We do not have an infinite amount of time here on the earth. We only have so many days. And we're to use those things, those days, those hours wisely. We must do so because Paul says the days are evil. What does that mean? Simply that sin is everywhere, that evil is everywhere. Sin is everywhere seeking to overwhelm everyone on the planet. You, me, everybody in Shoto, Maisie, Pryor, Albuquerque. Yes, I realize Albuquerque's not in Oklahoma. Got that. But because sin is, is seeking to destroy everybody's soul for all eternity, you and I must make the most of the time. We must understand what the will of the Lord is. And one very prominent aspect of walking wisely is to understand that it is the will of God that none perish but that all come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Once again, it will be the God-given privilege of those who understand that, if they possibly can, to come and help with the effort next week to first find and then help those who need to do that. What better way can we spend our time than in walking in the footsteps of Jesus, seeking to do the will of God by seeking and saving the lost, Luke 19.10. Now certainly by this point, there's going to be some that may say, whoa. I would love to help, but I am just not physically able to do it. I can't walk, I can't, I just, I'd love to help, but I can't. The, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. I, I, I just, I, 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 I can't. That's okay. Guess what? You don't have to. You don't have to be able to walk the neighborhood next week and door knock. Not at all. And you can still help. Let me explain how. Wait, let me ask you a question. Can you drive? Maybe you can drive around two or three people that need a lift. Maybe we'll have so many young people that we'll need to have two or three of them go together. Let me ask you something else. Here's a good one for you. If you can't walk the neighborhood, you're just not physically able, you'd love to help, but you can't. How about this one? Can you pray? Is there anybody in this room that can't pray? See me immediately following. We need to talk. Pray. Pray. Pray for those people who are able to walk, that they'll have the right words to say. Paul, didn't Paul say, didn't Paul say, pray for me that I may be able to speak boldly? Listen, if the Apostle Paul needed prayers of his brethren, that he'd say the right thing at the right time, Ephesians chapter 6, then so do you brothers and sisters. I'll tell you what, this guy does. Because sometimes I don't say the right thing. Can you pray not only for, for those that can go, but can you pray for the doors they knock? Can you pray that the people will be home that actually are legitimately interested in the truth we have to offer? Can you pray? Then if you can pray, you can help. You don't need to walk if you can't. Let me ask you this. Oh, by the way, when it comes to prayers, 
just quick, just a quick aside. I promise not chase this rabbit more than 30 seconds. When it comes to prayers, why is it we spend generally, if my math is correct, why is it we spend generally more time praying for people's physical ills than for their spiritual ones? You know, you can pray for me if I have a heart attack or I have this or I have that or I have something else. You can pray for me. But in the end, 100 years from now, this body's going to be in the ground. But my spirit's going to live. Is that right? Somewhere? Is that right? Is yours? Right? It's a spirit. So, so shouldn't we spend at least as much time praying about people spiritually and their spiritual needs and their spiritual illnesses as we do their physical ones? Just, just a thought. Pray that we'll find the ones who have that spiritual need. Let me ask you another question if you can't walk. Can you encourage? When you leave this building today and you know the six days to let door knocking and you know somebody is going, can you encourage them and tell them how grateful you are that they can go and, and, and that they want to go and you'll pray for them? Sure you can. See, there's other ways to help. How about this one? Can you tell others what the Lord has done for you and teach them how to obey the gospel? Love David's prayer this morning about we just need to be able to tell people what Jesus done for us. Listen, if you can't walk from here to the, the, the entryway of the building, you'd love to help, but you can't do that. There's a sign-up sheet out here on the bulletin board. We're looking for more people to teach Bible classes. Can you sit down at a table and tell somebody what Jesus has done for you? You can help that way if you can't walk. You see, this isn't just about walking. Although this is so important, and, and this walking applies to a lot of different places and situations, it's not just that. Listen, church needs every member to do its part. Is that right? Did we just read that? Can you pray for us? Can you walk? Can you encourage? Can you drive? Can you teach? Can you do something? Whatever it is you can do. Nobody's gift is any greater than anybody else's. The greatest gift of all is love. Let's love one another and work all together to make this happen. By the way, I want to thank the six family units that have signed up out here to Bible study with people. Thank you. Maybe next Saturday, maybe, maybe next Saturday, you've had something planned, like our fishing trip. <laughs> maybe you've had something planned for months. You just can't be there Saturday. Okay. You know why that's okay? If you just got something planned and you just really can't, you know why it's okay? Because we're going to do it different this year. The, the sheet that I've got made out for people to take, you're going you're to list each street. Hopefully it'll be only like two streets per little group. We're not going to do this all day, just a two or three hour thing. And each street number needs to be listed. And when nobody's home, and it's a good Saturday morning, some people, hopefully it's a good Saturday, pray it doesn't rain. Um, it's a good Saturday morning. Some people are going to be doing other things. They're not going to be home. So you write in your, your little, the, the street number, and yes or no, they were home or they weren't. And then guess what happens? If you've got something planned next Saturday and you can't be there, any evening that you are looking for something to do, Monday, Tuesday, not Wednesday, you need to be here, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you're looking for something to do, maybe Sunday afternoon, come see Doug. You know what Doug will do? Doug will give you a sheet and say, there's 16 houses on this street where people weren't home that need their doors knocked. And you can go that night. It doesn't even have to be in June. So if you've got something planned next week, that's okay. If you want to help, there's still opportunity to help. That's awesome. I don't want us to think that this morning's walk through the seven walks of Ephesians is just limited, as I said, to next Saturday, because it's about every day that we walk with the Lord, and, and that certainly includes this summer's Green Valley Bible Camp. And by the way, there's only 34 days left to register for week eight. 34. 
But here's what I want to say about Green Valley. Everything that I have said this morning about our responsibility to evangelize, to walk in the footsteps of the Savior, seeking the lost, everything that I have said applies to our youth as well. If you're old enough to make the decision to be a Christian, you're old enough to share what Christ has done for you. And everything I've said this morning applies to you as well. And it applies in the area of Green Valley. You know, I got this reverse mohawk thing going on up here. I got a lot of gray. White, okay. And some of you who are recent graduates in high school, and meaning within the last few years, uh, I can't, I can't reach your friends. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to talk to some old guy in the 60s about their life and the Lord. And not, not, not too much, not as much as they are you. And, and for some of you who are still in school especially, listen, I can't reach your friends. They're not going to listen to me. And they're not going to listen to some of these older folks here in the church either. They're going to listen to you, though. They're going to listen to you a lot more than they are us. And so I want to tell each of our young people, Kirk, I don't know if he did it advertently or inadvertently or what, but as far as I'm concerned, he came up with a real good slogan here about a week ago that ought to go with every one of our kids that's going to camp. And this slogan is real simple. Each one, bring one. You see, I still believe that the best way to convert people is to take people on the spot, not invite them to church or other church activities, but to take them on the spot. When they have a Bible question, we've discussed this at length before, and sit down and talk to them, that's the way converts were made in the first century, and I still believe that. But here's the thing. I'm going to add a little addendum to it. Some of them ain't going to ask questions, maybe, but I'll tell you what, you invite your friends to go to Green Valley, and it should create some questions, because they're going to hear some awesome lessons down there. Enough questions, enough good lessons, so that maybe they will ask those questions, and then you have those opportunities right there to sit and talk with them. In light of that, I think it's important that I share with you our young people who are going to Green Valley some of the and I underline this word startling, statistics that I got from the Green Valley Bible Camp website last Tuesday, five days ago, Tuesday. Yeah, five. Listen very closely. As of last Tuesday, week three at Green Valley Bible Camp, their registration is supposed to close this weekend. I don't know if it's yesterday or today, but two weeks before they go, okay? Week three, registration closing this weekend. As of last Tuesday, they had 30 boys and 17 girls registered. 123 empty spots. 123 empty spots as of Tuesday. Week five, which goes from July 3rd to the 9th, their registration closes in two weeks. Two weeks. As of Tuesday, 
They had nine boys and 16 girls, a grand total of 145 spots, 145 spots left. Week seven, July 17th to the 23rd, they had 10 boys and seven girls, 153 open spots. Now, with a couple of weeks, I understand some of that will change. I didn't check everyone this morning. Perhaps they'll change again. But to me, those are frightening statistics. Our own beloved week eight has eight boys and five girls registered. 157 open slots, 157. As I said, there's 34. And we can say, well, there's 34 days left, and that's not too scary. I'm, I'm going to tell you why it's still scary. Here's why it's still scary, because week two is a wonderful week, okay? Week two, which is another very popular and well-done week, and their registration is now closed, they have 62 unfilled spots. 62. Young people, campers, listen. As adults, you have some people that will go down there and we will make sure you get there. And we will teach and we will be there. And some people, there are counselors who take a week of their, their work time, their vacation time from their work that they could be spending with their families elsewhere, they take that week off of their work to, get, to go to Green Valley and to be counselors. And that, that is awesome. Everything's done. We, we, if you invite a friend to come with you to camp, the church here will even help pay if money's a problem, right church? I've heard that, right? Is that right? Church here will help pay. If you have a friend who says, well, I'd love to go to camp with you and that's great, but, but we, my family can't really do it, tell them that's okay, we'll take care of it. Bottom line is we will do everything we possibly can as adults to make camp work. Take time off from work, pay for the, but we can't reach your friends. We cannot reach the kids that you hang around with. They're not going to listen to us. That is why it is critical that you understand what it means. Each one, bring one. It is vital to the life of every single blood-bought child of God, whether you are 14 or whether you are 114, to walk every day in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. It is vital that you walk every day in the seven vital walks we find throughout the book of Ephesians that we have detailed this morning. It is vital that you walk in the light and step in the light, striving and sacrificing whatever you have to to seek and to save the lost because that's what Jesus did and that's what following Jesus means. Following him up, that narrow path that leads to heaven. This is a journey that begins when we hear the gospel, when we believe the gospel. When we are willing to confess our faith in Jesus as the Son of God 
And then when we step out on faith, because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, when we read in the word of God that we need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, for us to be faithful and to act in faith and to do that, and then to continue on remaining faithful to Christ and his teachings for life. Walking in the light as he is in the light, 1 John 1, 7. Walking by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Walking in the seven walks of Ephesians. Good works in a worthy manner and not in futility of mind like those who don't know God, but walking instead in Christ-like love as children of light, exposing sin and making the most of our time, understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you need the prayers of the church this morning because you want to walk at a brisker pace or a stronger pace or you've maybe strayed off that path a little bit, if you need the prayers of the church that you will walk better and straighter for the Lord Jesus Christ, we will pray for you. Maybe you've not entered that path yet by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What are you waiting for? Do you understand that Jesus is the Savior? Do you understand that you've sinned? Do you understand that you can't get into heaven with your sins and, and that in order to have them washed away, you're going to have to have the blood of Christ to do that? If you understand that, you can be saved this morning. If you have a need, will you come to the front as we stand and sing?